0: Good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Steve Murphy, the lead minister here at Discover. We are in the last week of our series called "All the Difference," and we have been walking since the beginning of the year through the Gospel of John. And what we've been doing is looking at pictures that only John gives us. You won't find these in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And it's been a very interesting journey just to see what does John reveal to us about Jesus and about our own lives that we don't get anywhere else in the Bible. So if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and turn to John chapter 21. That'll be our, our text for today. As we've been going through this series, All the Difference, we've talked about how various things make all the difference. Love. Love makes all the difference, doesn't it? Just that word, we just we feel different when we hear that word. And when we experience it, wow. The Holy Spirit makes all the difference. Not only God... With us, as Jesus was, but God in us. Remarkable. Unity. When brothers and sisters are united in Jesus, because we are united first to God, what a difference that makes. We talked about how finishing the work makes all the difference. That Jesus completed his work and he has work for us to do. And today, we're talking about restoration. Now, here are some pictures of some things that have been restored. And it's kind of cool. So you have a table, for example, the before and after. That's pretty amazing. Uh, Check this out. I feel like that's my life on the left side sometimes. Cars that have been restored, more cars that have been restored, and four cars that have been restored that were part of our car show. And I just want to pause on that for just a second. It's kind of interesting, as I was thinking about this, the car show is kind of like a microcosm of the gospel, right? Something was born and it was great and then it was created and it was all good and then things began to break, right, and rust. And it's not just a physical thing we're talking about. We're talking about our spiritual lives and they've been broken. And the hand of someone came in and restored that. And that's just kind of cool. So when you see the cars at the car show, it's kind of like, wow. That's kind of the story of how God comes into our lives and changes everything. And I would encourage you, when you come to the car show and the craft show, look for the people whose stories have yet to be restored. We have people who bring cars here every year because our car show, I think, is the number two ranked car show in Columbus now by the people who come to shows. The reason for that is they feel like our car show is different. What is different about our car show? It's not just that we're raising funds for something that's good. It's that there's something more. There's some purpose. There's something of depth. And I would encourage you to go hear the story of the 1946 Studebaker. I don't know if that's a car, but that was restored. And ask the person if, you know, was that, did you do that? Did you restore this car? A lot of times they do. Just get to know them. Invite them to a relationship with Jesus in some way if you can, just by showing them love, first of all. Anyway, that car show is significant. It's a great opportunity to really take Jesus to some people. So restoration is huge. All of us need to be restored. This is the good news of all humanity, that there is hope for everyone. A little background before we read our text. So Jesus was arrested. And when he was going through his mock trial, people asked Peter three different times, hey, aren't you one of his followers? Don't you know him? Peter three times says, no, no. I swear, no. Can you imagine... His shame, his guilt, his brokenness. And can you imagine his joy when his relationship with Jesus is restored? And that's what we're going to read about today. There's a lot of stuff going on, but that's our primary focus. And we're going to be reading a fair amount of text. So again, John chapter 21, we're going to start in verse 3. And I'm using the Christian Standard uh, Bible today. So Jesus has died. And he's raised. But Peter is going back to something familiar. Verse 3. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them. You don't have any fish, do you? Side note. It's better to just say, Hey, have you caught anything? He's actually like, You don't have any fish, do you? Anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. All right. No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, Jesus told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Simon Peter heard it was the Lord. He tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. So again, Peter and some of the disciples have gone back to something they know, something familiar to fishing. But guess what? It's unfulfilling. They don't catch anything. And this picture takes us back to an interesting story in Luke chapter 5. When Peter and the others had been fishing, and guess what? They hadn't caught anything. And Jesus says, try it again. And Peter says, honestly, um, first, you're not a fisherman. He doesn't say that, but he's got to be thinking it, right? Honestly, we fished at the best time to catch fish. And we've caught absolutely nothing. So what you're asking doesn't make a lot of sense. But because you asked, we'll do it. And they did. And guess what? They caught so many fish that that the nets began to break. They had to call in other boats. So this story obviously takes them back. John recognizes this. This guy that's asking us if we've caught any fish. And we tried it again. That That's exactly what happened back at the beginning. John recognizes it's Jesus. And Peter, Peter, who one time got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus, this time he just jumps in and he just swims. It's such a Peter kind of thing to do, right? He's just going for it. He's excited that, hey, this is Jesus. But it's interesting, Jesus not only takes them back to that moment from the story in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is going to take Peter back to a moment that's very important as well. And that's what we read as the story continues. So start in verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. So the breakfast fire might take Peter back to that fire where he was warming his hands the night when he said, I don't know this Jesus. He denied Jesus three times. So if a fire isn't a reminder, certainly the three questions from Jesus would be a reminder. Do you love me? Three times Jesus asks. And three times... Simon Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It says that Peter is grieved the third time. Why does it say that? Why was he grieved? Well, one answer seems really obvious. It's what we just said, that this three-time question takes him back to his three-time denial. N.T. Wright writes this. The three questions correspond to Peter's three denials. The smell of the charcoal fire lingers. Peter's night of agony, and Jesus' own night of agony, returns. Jesus is the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world, Peter's sin included, your sin, my sin. So from a legal point of view, there is nothing officially on the record against us. But in our memories, there may still be old failings, old sores, old wounds. Like a computer virus, we need to have it dealt with before we can operate to maximum efficiency once more. So Jesus goes to where the pain is, as he often does. He takes Peter away from the others. They're probably walking along slowly on the shore. And Jesus asks the question that goes to the heart. Do you love me? Jesus' three questions take Peter back to his painful and embarrassing denial. And honestly, there might be something more going on here. We don't see it in the English. But in the original Greek language, there is more more than one word for love. I found this out when I was... Reading it in Spanish, they are two different words that are being used here, just like there are in the original language. So this is what's happening. This, The interaction is written like this. Jesus asked Peter the first time, do you love me? And he uses the highest form of love in the Greek language, agape. And when Peter responds, he uses what's a really good form of love, but it's more like a, a deep friendship. It's something that's it's called phileo. Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It's, it's a good love. It's not the deepest, most profound love. So that's interesting. Do you love me with the most deep passion that you can? Lord, you know that I love you as a brother, as a friend. Second time, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Again, deep, agape love. And Peter responds, Phileo. Yeah, I have a friendly love for you, Jesus. The third time, Jesus asked Peter, he says, do you love me, Phileo? Do you love me with a friendly love, Peter? And Peter says, that's how I have to respond right now. Yes, I I love you that way. It seems that Peter just can't say that he loves Jesus to that great sacrificial depth probably because he doesn't feel he can claim that. I've failed you, Lord. I've denied you. I've broken our relationship. I can't say honestly that I have loved you that deeply. So when Peter can't come to the level where Jesus is, Jesus meets Peter where he is. Isn't that amazing? But this isn't something out of God's character. When we couldn't achieve perfection, when we couldn't become sinless, God became sin for us on the cross. When we couldn't go to heaven, God came here to earth so that we could. God meets us where we are. I think that's exactly why Jesus is meeting Peter here, because Peter is stuck he can't get beyond this shame, this, this pain. And Jesus says, I want you to. So I'm going to meet you there and let's walk forward together. You see, Jesus loves us wherever we are, but too much to stay there. That's part of our vision statement. We are a church that loves people wherever they are, especially in their messiness and their brokenness, but too much to let people stay there. You see, the enemy reminds us of our past so we will stay there, so we are stuck. Oh, man, you don't deserve to be loved. You don't deserve forgiveness after what you've done. You know, it's your fault. You are guilty. And God takes us to that exact place and says, you are loved. You are forgiven. I will take your guilt and your shame myself. And I want to walk forward with you in healing, in grace, in truth, and in love. God meets us where we are, and he says, greater things are coming for you, deeper greater commitment. And that's exactly what happens in this story. Look at verse 18. Truly I tell you, Jesus says to Peter, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who's the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus, is going to proclaim Jesus boldly Many times they get in trouble for it. Peter is going to show the truth of Jesus to thousands of his Jewish brothers and sisters. Peter will be the one who takes the good news of Jesus to the non-Jewish people for the very first time. Showing that God wants to be in relationship with every person. And do you notice how Jesus calls Peter to ministry, to people, to purpose, to life. You see, Jesus knows Peter can do this. Jesus has more faith in Peter than Peter has in himself because Jesus knows with God all things are possible and Peter will be empowered by the Holy Spirit, which will change everything. It's interesting, you know, as as Peter and Jesus are talking, I'm not exactly sure why Peter says what about him. Maybe it's because he's just found out he's going to die, you know, and he's like, what about that guy? Man, that is such a human response, isn't it? What about him? Jesus' response is really clear and it's really pointed. What is that to you? It's none of your business, Peter. Each person's story is unique, and God meets each person in their story, and he walks with them uniquely. Jesus is talking about his relationship with Peter, and Peter doesn't need to worry about John or anyone else. Your story is your story, not someone else's story. God has a path in mind just for you. So don't worry about anyone else. Just follow Jesus. Don't compare yourself to others. Just follow Jesus. Don't put your eyes on everyone around you. Keep your eyes on Jesus as you walk forward together in the journey. Now, it's not always going to be easy. It's not going to be a pain-free experience. It's not always going to be, quote, safe. But God will strengthen you. As you rise to a new commitment, a new level of of um, sacrificial love, just as Peter was able to do because he was empowered by God. He was forgiven. He was restored. Every day as we wake up, I think it's an opportunity for us to say, today is a new day. Today is a day to be renewed in the Lord, to have my relationship strong and restored. And I think we should do that every day. When we, when we come here every week and we worship God together, it's an opportunity to be renewed. When we take the Lord's Supper together, we are restored as we confess our sins and as we are washed clean. I think every day should be a renewal, a restoration. But I also know there are times when God's calling out for something more. And the Holy Spirit is impressing on us that there's a deeper commitment that needs to be made. And maybe today, you've been taken back. And God is saying, you're stuck here. We need to meet here. You need to have this forgiven. You need to have this cleansed. You need to walk forward with me together. God can restore you if you're willing. In Luke chapter 15, there are three stories about things that are lost and found and how there's a great celebration after each thing is found. And the third thing that is lost is a son. And it's the one that we identify with most, first of all, because it's a person, but really because it's the story of humanity. And most of you are familiar with the story. It's when the, the son, the young son, goes to his father and he says, "You know what, Dad? I can't wait for you to die. So can you just give me your inheritance now, and then I'm out of here?" So the father does, and the son goes off. It says he goes away to a different land. It blows it all in while living, it says. And then he finds himself in a very broken place. No money. Because of that, no more friends. Must not have been great friends, huh? No food. No place to live. He longs to be able to eat the slop that he is feeding the pigs for his job. And he wonders, is there any possible way that my father would welcome me back as a hired servant, as a slave? I certainly don't deserve to be a son. So he rehearses his speech on his way back toward his father's house. And in this incredible picture of God, we see the father looking, waiting, watching for the son. And when he sees his son walking, he does something that is completely embarrassing and out of nature in that culture. A distinguished father runs to his son. It's the only time we have a picture in the Bible of God running. He welcomes the young man back, not as a slave, not as a hired servant, but as a son. And there's an amazing celebration that takes place. I don't know exactly where you are, but I know that God is watching. And he wants a restored relationship with each of us. He restored his relationship with Peter. He restored the relationship with this lost son. He wants to restore our relationship. I love the words that we've sung earlier. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On the hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. And the words were getting ready to sing. Take me back to the day I met you when my dead heart came alive. I was running, but you came chasing. You couldn't wait to take me back. I'll sing of a grace that's still amazing. I'll dance like a child before the king. And I'll shout like I've heard it for the first time. You have come to save the lost and last. And you are the God who always takes me back. What a story. God wants to meet you right where you are. And say, let's let's be close. Let's have a relationship that's deep. Let's walk forward together. And I would assume for most of us, that's something that's going to happen right where we are right now and throughout this week as the Holy Spirit works on our lives. But maybe, maybe you need to come forward and have someone pray with you. Dave's going to be up here for you to do that. Maybe you want to say for the first time, yeah, I, I have never really fully surrendered my life to the Lord. I've never really run back to the Father and seen him just pursue me with everything and be welcomed home. If you've never given your life to the Lord, if you've never said yes to that, if you've never said, God, I need you, I can only be saved through Jesus. If you've never confessed your sin, if you've never proclaimed the name of Jesus, if you've never turned from the way you were walking and need to walk back to God, if you've never given your life fully in baptism. You can do those things today. The Father will take you back. He wants relationship with you. Wherever you are, God wants to meet you there. And he's going to walk with you every step of the way on life's journey. And if you respond, God will restore. And restoration, it makes all the difference. Let's stand. This has been a sermon series by Discover Christian Church. Find more at discovercc.org.